0: Well, this morning we will read from the scriptures what we've already heard about in the video from the triumphal entry of Jesus. Luke chapter 19, beginning in verse 28. After telling this story, Jesus went on toward Jerusalem, walking ahead of his disciples. As they came to the towns of Bethpage and Bethany on the Mount of Olives, he sent two disciples ahead. Go into that village over there, he told them, and as you enter it, you will see a colt tied there that has not been ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you what you are doing, just say, the Lord needs it. So they went and found the colt, just as Jesus had said, and sure enough, as they were untying it, the owners asked them, why are you untying our colt? And the disciples simply replied, The Lord needs it. So they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their garments over it for him to ride on. Then the crowds spread out their coats on the road ahead of Jesus. As they reached the place where the road started down from the Mount of Olives, all of his followers began to shout and sing as they walked along, praising God for all the wonderful miracles they had seen. Bless the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest heaven. But some of the Pharisees among the crowd said, Teacher, rebuke your followers for saying things like that. He replied, If they keep quiet, the stones along the road will burst into cheers. The word of the Lord.
1: Thank you, Pastor Norb. And welcome back to you and Tina and family. Had uh, I trust a nice time away. A little bit, uh, browner skin. This must have been in a warm spot, so that's wonderful. It's Palm Sunday. Is it? Wow, it's, uh, I thought Palm Sunday and spring went together. Somehow we've got a little uncoordinated this year. But it is Palm Sunday, and the train has arrived at the station because we're on the closing message of the Not A Fan series. And, uh, I just have to say that the series has been such an adventure for my own heart. Uh, such a joy, uh, and I'm just so privileged to be able to have shared some of the messages uh, during this series. And I, I trust that you got some of the overflow uh, from, from the home groups. And uh, I know that many of them have just so appreciated uh, this series. And each week, it has been said that we have a choice, whether to become a fan of Jesus Christ or to become a follower of Jesus Christ. I've got a lot of growing to do in my life. Uh, I have a long ways to go to where my life should be, what I want it to be and what God wants it to be. That being said, I would choose no other road. Isaac Watts wrote that hymn years ago when I survey the wondrous cross. And I love the last verse. My heart is just moved by it. We're the whole realm of nature mine. That were a present far too small. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. So we have a choice, whether to be a fan or a follower of Jesus Christ. And that's an individual decision. Only you can make that decision. And only I can make that decision. I mean, we can play at being a fan for the rest of our life, but we would miss the adventure of walking in the abundance of his life in us. And I don't want to miss it. My prayer is that uh, we would not just have a little of Jesus, like an inoculation, just to give, give us a little, but that we would have all that Jesus wants for us. Not just enough to keep you from experiencing the real thing, but a little of Jesus, but not all of Jesus. And I pray that we would have all of Jesus and the things that God wants to do in your heart and your life that he would be able to accomplish. And I recognize that God is working in so many different ways. I mentioned my own brother last week who left the church at age 16, didn't come back till he was 40 years of age. But he came back just after my father passed away. My dad would have loved so much to have seen him make his re-entry. He would have loved that so much because that was the concern in his heart before my dad died, is that his older son would come into a relationship with Jesus Christ. But it wasn't very long afterwards, and he came back. And he came back because he met Jesus in a very personal way, and it changed his life. And we saw such a different Ron after he met Christ. My brother and I weren't particularly close until Ron came to Christ. And then all of the walls came tumbling down. Uh, Suddenly, we were more than brothers. Suddenly, we were friends. And it's been so fun to journey together in these years of our lives, not just as brothers, but as friends and and people, uh, guys that can, can pray together and share together. But it did take some unique circumstances in Ron's life before he decided that Jesus is enough in his life. God is actively pursuing every one of us. And I trust him for the work that he wants to do in every life for each one of you that, that come and are part of the community of faith here at TCC, including the timing that God has his hand, he's going before us and he's, he's touching every life. How well I recall a missionary who started a work in Brazil uh, as a translator with Wycliffe working among the Canela Indian people group. And I remember he came home, and some of you will recall this as well, he came home on furlough so discouraged because although people listened to him talk about Jesus and he translated some of their scriptures, no one responded. And can you imagine this? He and his wife worked for 14 years before even one person responded just day in and day out Uh, and he was so frustrated and so as the pastor of the church where he was attending he said could we go for coffee and often we went for for coffee and he poured out his anger and he poured out his disappointment and his question was why is God not in a hurry I'm in a hurry I want God to do great things among the Canela Indians uh, and yet God is not doing it and we would pray together and talk together and He would get the stuff off of his chest. And the next time he went back to Brazil to minister among this people group, the Spirit of God broke through uh, into that people group, and 50 people came to personal faith in Christ. And that started the beginning of something very special among the Canela Indian people group. I know that God works in mysterious ways his wonders to perform and I know he loves each of us and I know he's working in our homes and in our families and in our community and I know there is a timing and I don't know his timing I don't know what it is that brings one to say yes with all I have yes but I know that there's a timing and there are circumstances, and, and God, God is working in all of our hearts. Is Jesus enough? First of all, do we understand what Jesus requires? Pretend for a moment that you're standing in Jerusalem about 2,000 years ago, a part of that first Palm Sunday parade. Do you like parades? They're always fun to be part of. They're always stirring and exciting because... They're used to honor, often, uh, celebrities and heroes. A parade or a lack of a parade can have a profound effect upon one's life. Some years ago, I heard about the homecoming of one of our great missionaries who had served more than 50 years in a remote part of Africa. On the boat with him was a UN ambassador who had spent six weeks in Africa, jaunting about from here to there, but only six weeks. And as the ship came into New York Harbor, fireboats were spouting water, tugboats were tooting, and bands were coming alongside. And There was a great tumult of praise for this returning ambassador. And the missionary, seeing the ambassador there, began to feel a little sorry for himself, saying, 50 years serving Jesus, and nobody cares, nobody knows that I'm coming home. And at that moment, he seemed to hear Jesus say, but I I see. Well done, good and faithful servant. Nevertheless, he later confessed that that simply did not seem enough. He was as human as the rest of us. We want to hear Jesus say, well done. But wouldn't it be nice if someone planned a parade for us? Wouldn't it be nice? Is Jesus enough? When Jesus rode into Jerusalem, everyone knew that a regime was taking place, a regime change. This was the day that God's people had been praying for. They had been under the boot of Rome. Despite the crippling political power of the Romans, the Jews had not given up hope. The ancient prophecies said that a Savior would come. That a king would someday ride into Jerusalem to deliver God's people from the evil of the ungodly, i.e. the Romans. So it's Passover. There are hundreds of thousands of Jews from all over the world who have come to Jerusalem for the Passover. As they fill the streets, a victory parade starts to form at the edge of the city. I love it. Jesus makes his own parade. He calls for the colt to ride upon. He sets it all up. He rides down the steep hill from the Mount of Olives. People are waving and shouting. He's riding on a small donkey, a colt. Zechariah's words are being fulfilled. Look, your king is coming to you. He is righteous and victorious, yet he is humble, riding on a donkey, even on a donkey's colt. Overwhelmed with joy, the people began to cry out, Jesus must be the one. He's the new king of Israel. Praise God. Quick, take off your coat and lay it on the road in front of him. Run and cut branches from the tree and lay those down too. Let's roll out the red carpet. Jesus is our new king. Look at all those fans. The parade stretches for a couple of miles. The crowd is in an uproar. Who is this? Who is this? The Pharisees are going out of their mind. Stop this nonsense. Don't credit this man, Jesus. And Jesus replies, if if you don't praise me, the, the very stones will cry out. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. The fans were delirious with admiration. Do we really understand what Jesus requires for that moment in time? It was a parade. It was a time to celebrate. It was a recognition of who Jesus was and his celebrity status on a temporary basis and In your know, parades will do that. They recognize a the person even if for a very short period of time. But then I thought, you know, parades serve another function. They are the prelude to being discarded, often. They are the prelude to being discarded. Jesus was soon to be discarded. Judas was already at work setting the, the wheels in motion. Peter, although he couldn't comprehend what was happening at the moment, was only hours away from setting Jesus aside as he talked with the servant girl. The crowds now cheering, Hosanna, Hosanna, would soon be yelling, Barabbas, Barabbas. The fans would soon reevaluate their perception of Jesus, and the tune would change from praise him to crucify him. Do we really understand what Jesus requires? Do we know why he came? I got a phone call last week. My Aunt Wilda is dying in Vancouver and the family would like me to do the funeral service. She's getting very close to moving on. She's nearly 92. On my mother's side, the siblings have lived a long time My mom was 98, her brothers were 95, and now Aunt Wilda in a few days will be 92. They have longevity in their genes. There was a big parade for her over a year and a half ago, celebrating her 90th birthday. They said at that time that she only had a few months to live. Well, she surprised them. Her two months went to nearly two years. But they had a party to say blessings and honor your way. And although we didn't say it out loud, we knew you're going home and we're celebrating your life. She knows Jesus, she's looking forward to to going home. And sometimes, you know, parades are a foreshadowing of change and transition and departure. The parade on Palm Sunday is Perhaps nearly as much for us who watch it as it was for Jesus. The parade was for the disciples and for the whole crowd that had gathered. It was giving them one more chance to respond to the King. The parade was for you and for me because Jesus is still passing by in your life. He's still passing by in my life, giving me one more chance to say yes With all my heart, I embrace you, Jesus. I want to be a follower. It was obvious that not everyone wanted to be a follower. Some said, Deal me out. I didn't sign up for this. I didn't know Jesus was that kind of a king. The Palm Sunday parade. Will we stand at the edge of the road and cheer at the parade? And then just as quickly turn away. Do we understand what Jesus really requires? He will go to the cross. And he will die. Even his disciples couldn't fathom that. And Peter tried to refute him and say, Lord, this will never happen to you. And you know Jesus turned to Peter and said, Get away from me, Satan. You're a dangerous trap to me. You're seeing things merely from a human point of view, not from God's point of view. We remember the words that we've quoted so often from Luke 9, 23. If any of you wants to be my follower, you must turn from your selfish ways, take up your cross daily, and follow me. Are we a fan? Standing with thousands of others along the parade route? Hoping Jesus will accomplish some political agenda or for us, some personal agenda? Or are we followers ready to surrender everything to Him because we are absolutely committed to giving Him our best? Our love, our life, our worship, our service, Yes, we know the words of Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the German theologian who was hung by the Nazi regime for his outspoken commitment to Christ and his heart to follow Jesus regardless. He wrote in in his book, The Cost of Discipleship, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. Being a follower is always about dying to ourselves. It's about forgiving and showing mercy. It's about holding your punch back when you see that you could knock somebody else out. You've got them down. They're in a vulnerable position. And you could knock them out. You could beat on them. And with your words and with your actions, you could destroy them. But you die to self. And you say, I won't do that. I won't take advantage. Christ bids me come and die. Do we understand what Jesus requires? Second, is Jesus enough for you? Is he enough for you? I wanna take you to John six for a few minutes. John six is the story of the feeding of the 5,000. This huge crowd had been following Jesus Says 5,000 men, but that's just the men, so probably it's a crowd of 10,000, 15,000, 20,000 people, a massive crowd men, women, and children. And the Lord was filled with compassion. And He wanted them to be provided for in terms of having something to eat before He sent them home. He's a hospitable Savior. And with only five loaves and two fishes, how could the disciples provide? Well, you know the story and Jesus prayed and a great miracle took place. Sometimes I think our kitchen crew must pray (laughs) as they see the crowds coming. Oh my goodness, do we have enough food? And they're back in the kitchen praying and we always have enough. Jesus didn't disappoint. He took the little boy's lunch and he fed the entire crowd and there was still plenty of food left over. And after dinner, the crowd decides to camp out for the next night so they can be with Jesus the next day. They are committed fans. Or are they followers? Maybe they're the real thing. But the next morning, the crowd wakes up, and they're hungry again, ready for a little breakfast. They look around for Jesus, a.k.a. their meal ticket. But he's nowhere to be found. And they determine that Jesus and his disciples have gone across the lake to another place. And by the time they catch up to Jesus, they're starving. They've missed the chance to order breakfast. And they're ready to find out what's on the lunch menu. But Jesus has decided to shut down the all-you-can-eat buffet. I was at Costco yesterday. This is so fun to be at Costco because you can nibble all the way along. You can kind of have your lunch there. But no Costco for these 5,000. He says in verses 26 to 27, I tell you the truth. You want to be with me because I fed you. Not because you understand the miraculous signs, but don't be so concerned about perishable things like food. Spend your energy seeking the eternal life that the Son of Man can give you. Now Jesus has the DTR talk with the crowd. Remember the meaning of DTR? Defining the relationship. And his question is primarily this same question. Is Jesus enough? Am I enough? Jesus was asking the crowd. Really? Really? Do you need everything else or am I enough? Are we in it for the food? Are we in it for the benefits? Are we in it for self? What happens when we shut off the food line? What happens when we close the cafeteria? When there are no other options? That's when you find out if Jesus is really enough. 2,000 years later, the year 2013. What happens when tough things visit us? Jesus, you're supposed to do a miracle. Jesus, you're supposed to fix this. And if you don't, I won't follow anymore. And sometimes he heals. And sometimes the situation is turned right around. And sometimes it's not. What happens when it's not? Do we suddenly discard Jesus and say, give us Barabbas. Give us someone else. Jesus is not enough. Over the years I've watched people as they have faced tragedy and disappointment and sickness and relational pain And some choose to hold on to Jesus with all they've got. And some choose to say, He's not enough for me. I'm disappointed in Him. I'm angry with Him. In John chapter 6, the crowd has to decide if Jesus is enough. Are they hanging around for the perks? Or is it really about the relationship? Do you remember what happened? The fans turn and they go home. John chapter 6, verse 66. At this point, many of his disciples turned away and deserted him. Many of his disciples turned away and deserted him. That's the reality. Many turned away and no longer followed. Will you follow? Most of us aren't being tested like the American pastor that's being held in an Iranian prison. He's being tortured and mistreated and uh, the word came in, coming back this week is that he perhaps was allowed to get into a, a medical treatment place for a while and, and get some of his wounds fixed up. I read that he looked in a window and kind of got a reflection of himself and he said hello to that person in the reflection because he didn't recognize himself. He had been so badly pulverized. He's been so tortured and punished. And yet he is, his words have been, forgive, forgive, forgive. Don't allow the poison, don't allow the poison to build in your heart, but forgive. And and he's saying, I'm making a deliberate attempt intentionally to forgive every time I'm walloped and punished. I'm making an intentional decision to forgive. Pray for Pastor Saeed. The next verse is a penetrating question. He addresses his 12 disciples and he asks, are you also going to leave? Are you also going to leave? One wonders how he said that. What was his tone of voice? I expect he said it softly. I expect he said it with a tone of disappointment and sadness when it became clear that so many were leaving. It wasn't about him. It was about what they could get. Kyle, who is the author of this series, Not a Fan, writes, how would it feel if you started to date someone and you took them to the movies for the first date. You paid for the popcorn, the drinks, and all the snacks. You paid for the tickets. And after the date, you ask them out again, and they say yes. So you take them somewhere nicer this time, maybe a nice restaurant. You let them order anything they want off the menu, and when the bill finally comes, you pick it up, and you pay for it. And with each date, you have more and more fun with this person, and you feel a real connection And just when you think things are gonna get really serious, you ask them out on a special date. And they agree and you pick them up and you surprise them by taking them to the park. You go on a walk and you have a talk and you stop to sit at a bench and you pour out your heart to this person, telling them how much you care about them and how much you wanna make them happy and how much you wanna fulfill them. And just as you finish pouring out everything you've got inside you in terms of affection, They look at you and say, is this the date? When are we going to do something? And pretty soon you realize that they were just hanging around for the things that you'd get them. For the movie tickets. For the nights of free meals and entertainment. Wouldn't that break your heart? I love the words of Peter in verse 68 because he hits the nail right on the head. Lord, to whom shall we go? Are you also going to leave? Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words that give eternal life. We believe and we know that you're the Holy One of God. I can't imagine not having God in my life. I was thinking of that the other day and... I can't imagine not having God in my life in a very personal way. And every once in a while I, I get that thought and, and, I, and I try to follow it along that what would happen if you come to the end of your life and you don't have Christ in your life? And I can't even go there because talk about feeling destitute, talk about feeling alone. The thought itself is paralyzing. Lord, to whom shall we go? Where would we turn for this life and for all eternity? Where would we turn? No one else has the answers. None of us are complete in ourselves. Who else is worth following compared to Jesus? No one catches my eye. There's none like you, Lord. And I say, well, why wouldn't everyone choose to be a follower? Why wouldn't everyone choose to be a follower? If a fan really understood the love of Christ, wouldn't it be different? If a fan could be 100% positive that following Jesus would lead to a life of joy and presence, uh, in the presence of the Lord? If we believed with every ounce of our being, that we would be able to deal with the tough issues of life. If we gave it all to Jesus, why wouldn't we all be followers? And then I thought, maybe we'd like to have it all laid out. God, give us a vision. If I could just be sure. God, just write it in the sky and I would be, I would be convinced. Speak audibly so I would know, that I would just hear your voice and I would be so convinced that the path I'm on is the right path. I've got to know that this is all really true. Ah, but life's not like that, is it? Even for the disciples. They had to choose to know and they had to choose to believe that Jesus was the Messiah. Choosing to know and to believe is a choice that we have to make. Just like the disciples made. Here's a little video clip.
2: Hebrews 9.27 says, Man is destined to die once, and after that to face the judgment. Those are the two guarantees. We will all die and we will all stand before God. When that moment comes to all of us, there's only one question that will really matter. Is have you decided to follow Jesus? If I could, I would ask you that question differently, because it's very personal. I wish I could come over to your house and knock on your door, hopefully I could talk you into letting me come in and sit down for a few minutes, and I would want to sit across the kitchen table from you and look you in the eye and ask you this question. I know that when you hear me ask, have you decided to follow Jesus, many of you quickly nod your head yes, and say, yeah, I'm a follower. But why do you say that? Because I'm not asking if your parents were followers. I'm not asking if you've prayed a prayer. I'm not asking if you say grace before meals or if you come to church. I'm not even asking if you believe in Jesus. I am asking, are you a follower of Jesus? Because one day there are many who say, I am a follower that will stand before God And be declared fans.
1: I love those words of Peter after Jesus asks, Are you also going to leave? Lord, to whom shall we go? Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words that give eternal life. None of us know the future with any certainty. We don't know when Christ will return. We don't know when our health might fail us. We don't know how the world economy will perform. We don't know if there will be another Cyprus or another Syria. We don't know. We don't know when we'll take our last breath. We don't know any of these things. And we never will know because we weren't meant to. But we can know the overflowing life of Jesus in our hearts As followers of Jesus Christ, we can know the certainty of a life forever with Jesus in heaven. We can choose to be a fan or a follower.